Hello, and thank you for joining me again for another episode of Moving Mountains Podcast. Once again, I'm Trishina Barzar-Hunter, Master Certified Transformational Life Coach, Emotional Intelligence Coach, as well as Relationship and Sexuality Coach. I know you could spend your time doing anything and listening to anyone, but I appreciate you for being here and listening with me. I certainly hope that this episode provides you some value helps you to make some change and move mountains in your life. Hey, beautiful ones. I want to thank you for joining me again for another episode of Moving Mountains podcast here on the Anchor app. This app has made it really easy for me to be able to bring you what I hope is great information that can bring positive transformation and change to your life. If you haven't done so, make sure that you download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I want to thank you again for tuning in with me and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, beautiful ones, my kings and queens that listen to my podcast. Um, For all of you that tune in, once again, thank you so much. I am really glad that this next guest has decided to participate in this podcast with me because a lot of times it seems like Black men don't get to tell their story. And I am excited to be able to be part of letting this gentleman tell his story. This gentleman was born and raised in St. Louis has gone from homelessness to graduating from West Point, overcome mental health issues, and is now a public speaker and a leadership enthusiast. And his story is just so amazing. And I feel like a lot of times a black men, their stories regarding abuse, trauma, mental health, and the effect that it has on them is just not told. So I am just really excited to have Barry D. Balls here on the Moving Mountains podcast today. Barry, are you with me? I am. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. And I am, again, thank you so much for taking a moment to share your story because as I was saying, I I don't think that a lot of times it's talked about, you know, mental health in the Black community is not talked about enough as it is, but I think for Black men, it's probably even talked about less. Mm. And how it impacts you, you know, the toll it takes on you, domestic violence growing up, mental health issues, trying to bounce back and how that makes you feel as a man and those different things, you know, losing, building, losing. You know, I don't know that enough black men get to tell their story. So I would love to have you share your story and let's talk about it. All righty. Wow. Thank you so much uh, for creating this space and allowing me to be a part of it. So, uh, yeah, my, my, my story always, always begins with I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, and I am the oldest of my nine siblings. Yes, nine. So uh, those two things really made me who I am, which is a, a servant leader and an all-around hustler. You can try all you want, but you just can't spell the word hustle without STL. <laughs> That's something that I love to share. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I got to rep. I got to represent. <laughs> um, now, all I've ever wanted to be in life was a good man. So if I may, 
I would like to share a little bit about that, my journey, uh, stepping into manhood. And by way of doing that, I will reveal some things about my story and, and open up my story to you. Is that is that okay? Absolutely. All righty. So yeah, w- with that knowledge, er- everything it's it's always been about being a good man for me. When people ask me, "Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up?" I always said, "I want to be a good man." So since it's twenty twenty one, I and we all have time machines. I invite you to go out and step into your time machine, set it to the life of Barry Ball. And go on a little journey with me. <laughs> Our first stop would be in 2008. When, and at this time, I was in a wheelchair. I had injuries to both sides of my body, on my on my lower on my lower body. And I climbed the stairs, just you know, kind of scooping up and dragging my my wheelchair with me. And when I finally got to the top and got settled. I saw the adults of my household fist fighting. And my mom at the time was about six to seven months pregnant. Oh, my. And I, and I, I just didn't know what to do at that time. I had thought that I was a man because I had made it to high school or whatever. But at that moment, it challenged my very manhood because here I am not able to protect my family. And that has stuck with me all till still to this day. It, it causes me to to second guess my manhood. All right. So what I would like you to do is just hop back into the time machine, set it to 2016, and off we go. As we make our way there, I want you to look to the right. As you can see me getting up every every morning, going to work to help save up money to get my family out of the battered woman's shelter that we lived in. There were, I want to say, six of us living in one room at that time. Now, if you look to the left, you can see me graduating from the United States Military Academy at West Point. And if you look back to your right, you can see me being commissioned as a United States Army officer. Okay, now we've arrived to 2016. And at this time, I thought that I was a man because of all of this I had accomplished and overcoming the odds. But with the stroke of a pen, everything was taken away. As the doctor wrote, I diagnosed this soldier with schizophrenia. And I knew what was to come next. The United States Army would tell me that they no longer needed my services. So yet again, I, I I challenged, I was challenged with my identity as a man and knowing was I there yet or, or what was going on when it, it had all been removed. Everything that I was inflating my manhood with had been removed the blink of, a, of an eye. Okay, now I, I invite you to get back into your time machine just one last time and we'll set the timer to today. But as we make our way to today, I want you to look to your right where you see me spending over 100 days in a psych ward. Now look to your left and see my three suicide attempts. Now look back to your right. And you see me reading a letter 
explaining me losing all custody privileges to my daughter. And now we've arrived today where I'm a present father. I'm a speakerpreneur and I'm a leadership enthusiast. Soon to be podcast host of my own and I lead rooms every other day or every day on uh, the app called Clubhouse where leaders with 20, 30 plus years of experience look up to me as a leader to provide content for us all to grow. But still, I find that I'm not quite the man, that good man that I want to be. And I have so much room for growth. So with that, I anybody who's listening to this, I ask that you not focus on my story so much, but just hear that it is so important not to fall in love with one destination. Because if and when you get there, there's going to be more. But I ask that you fall in love with the journey that is called life and trust the process. So thank you for allowing me to share that. Absolutely. And, you know, what you said was so powerful because the journey can be so painful (laughs) that you don't even want to keep going through it. And to learn to fall in love with that painful journey that, you know, crawling on all fours through glass, trying to make things happen is very difficult. And, you know, me and Barry actually met um, on Clubhouse and some groups. And when I heard him share his story, you know, with such transparency to admit a diagnosis of schizophrenia while in the military. And I come from a military family and I know how, hard it is when things are not what you expected in the military to speak so candidly about that is not easy not as blacks or african-americans and especially not as a black man because in our communities we're taught you kind of suck it up you keep it going and there's a stigma and there's you know especially a stigma around schizophrenia you just it's one of those you know mom words that you don't really talk about and to hear you talk about it so candidly is it's empowering and it's saying something to other black men out there that are struggling that maybe don't have their voice yet. Now you talked a little bit about what you were going through as a child and about your injury. Um, One thing your story didn't tell is what was that injury that you had in the beginning of your journey? Okay. Yeah. So if, if my memory serves me right, um, so on one leg, maybe let's say the right, or it was like I had a severely uh, sprained ankle. And then on the other side, I had a chipped hip. And both of these were due to um, just rough housing and, and just playing and, and being pretty rough, I guess. Okay. Now, in your journey, um, you've said over and over again, you know, I just wanted to be a good man and I'm still just trying to be a good man. Have you defined that yet? What does that mean for you? Okay, so yeah, what what it definitely stands for um, is just living up to my responsibilities in life. Uh, There have been times where I did the complete opposite. So I'm just trying to get to a point where, yeah, I I own up to my responsibilities. I take care of my responsibilities. 
And I am an example of what a man should be. I am the the living example of, you know, I don't have a son at this time, but who I want my son to grow up and be. And you're raising a daughter right now. How old is your little girl? So my daughter's three. All yeah. right. And that's okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, that experience with your diagnosis, you know, what you went through in the military. If you're comfortable sharing that, I'd love to hear and have you share what that experience was like for you in any terms that fit you. Okay, yes. Um, I- I'm very open to sharing. Um, yeah. So you just want to hear what was that experience like, right? Yeah, because um, you kind of you kind of go through it um, in poetry and breeze over it. But I would really like to dig deeper into some of those things because I know a lot of our brothers out there aren't talking about mental illness. Yes. Um, I know a lot of our brothers out there aren't comfortable pursuing help or, you know, even mention it to homeboys because it can be considered a sign of weakness or, you know, we talk a lot about what the pressures are as black women, at least in the circles that I'm in, but we don't talk about the pressures a lot that are put on black men to be good men or to push through mental health issues to be good men or to push through domestic violence growing up to be good men and the loss of a career you thought you were going to probably have till retirement and how to navigate all of that. Most definitely. So for me, it was it was a very turbulent time in life uh, because I I was in a unit and uh, it wasn't cohesive. I wasn't getting along with anybody in my unit, and a lot of that I, I reflect on myself. But then I also have to be honest with myself. There were just factors that weren't set up to put me uh, in the in the best position for success. So um, bumping heads with, with most. Folks in the unit, stress started to rise, and I was, I hated being there. So that started to take a toll on me mentally, physically, emotionally. And months and months would go by, and the situation seemed to get worse to where maybe one month it was, you know, subtle friction. The next month it would be raised voices. The next month it would be, things thrown across the off, across the room um and and just going to that environment every day it was a problem but i suffered in silence i i pretended like oh there's nothing wrong um having this conflict not only from my my superiors but also my peers and my subordinates I just stuck out like a sore thumb and that weighed on me. And then I had received a traumatic brain injury. Um, I was, I was in an airborne unit. And um, when I did one jump one day, I, I prepared to land and the wind blew and my preparation was wrong at, at that time. I, I, I needed to shift. But before I could shift, I crashed into the ground and hit my head. So with all of the stress, and then you you mix that with 
this traumatic brain injury. And like you said, yes, I, I had the mindset of mission first. So I continue to push through. I continue to try to maintain my job, even though I, I, had, I was very, um, very much concussed. So when you mix all of that together, it, it just didn't put me in a good space. And next thing I know, um, I am acting of, of all kinds of nature that, that I didn't even recognize myself. I had thoughts that were that were very um, like disjointed. Um, I had beliefs that weren't real. Um, I went into a state of psychosis, and I found myself in the hospital. And I, I'm, I'm so glad that that I did reach out to some people, and and phone calls were made, and I I eventually made it to the hospital. So yes. Man, there's there's so much in what you said um, that is very vital. It's, it's vital and it's important that it's not missed. Number one, your story in the military sounds like so many stories of people that I've known and loved in the military. Very close friends of mine that were in the military. My father, who served in the military. And issues on the unit and lack of cohesiveness um, some racism in the unit, um, disrespect from subordinates and superiors. I, I've heard that story a number of times from people that I love who have served in the military. And it actually kind of hurts to hear that, you know, my people that I love that are serving are going through this for serving their country. It's just, it's not an easy load. And I don't know that it's something that we talk about a lot. You know, it's always good to say, thank you, thank you for your service. And people always think of going to war or to Afghanistan or to Kuwait and all of those things. But very rarely do they talk about the day-to-day -day psychological trauma that comes with being in the military. Wow. Yeah, I, I appreciate you having that perspective um, and just creating a voice. Yes. You know, a couple of other things that you said, you know, was being a bit, uh, able to make that call because, I mean, number one, let's pause and be grateful that you got to a place where you could make that call. But I hope that every listener that's hearing this is hearing his story, you know, what was really going on, you know, his, his thoughts not being normal or cohesive or maybe healthy and him still reaching out, even though he, it risked being called crazy, you know, being called psychotic or any number of negative things that you can say about somebody who's struggling mentally. And um, I have not had that type of diagnosis, but um, Barry, one thing I don't think you know about my journey is that I had a traumatic brain injury like 12 times over from brain surgery. And, you know, I, I understand your mission first mentality, even though I wasn't in the military. It was just like, you know, I got to push through for my kids. So there's not time to stop. And when your brain is not healthy, when you have a traumatic brain injury of any kind, it can take anywhere from three to five years for your brain to regain its health. And when you're not stopping and taking time to relax, it cannot do that. And it really does take a toll. It tanks you emotionally, mentally, physically, and it just becomes hard to even function. Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know uh, any of that. So I uh, thank you for sharing it. You're really educating me right now. Yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into that. Um, how did it go for you going through treatment? Because you all, I mean, you came out of it and you're doing some amazing and powerful things. And I hope to inspire some people that they can get help. And it doesn't mean that you can't accomplish whatever out there you still want to accomplish. Okay. Um, so going through treatment was a journey in and of itself. Because I had to recognize that I was different. And that's not a, it's not a bad thing, but it's just, it takes self-awareness that my brain was functioning differently than, than what it had from my, my entire life up until that point. And what I had to start thinking about it is like, okay, these are just my superpowers. Now, how do I manage them? So treatment um, was very challenging because I not only had this diagnosis, but and and, and I, I don't mean to be so flowery. I really don't. I, I want I want I want to be real. It, it was a journey because I started to self I started to self medicate with marijuana, okay. and that 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 substance and my diagnosis or how it how it interacted for me was just very destructive and it, it really caused me to start living on the brink of destruction and to the point where I just did not recognize that it was a problem for so long and I lost so much I lost many relationships um I, I went through financial troubles I went through legal troubles I lost so much because I couldn't see what was going on in my life. Um, so it, it, it took a very long time. And a part of my journey healing um, medically or, or mentally was, was just getting that substance out of my life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not against that. I'm not against marijuana. I just had to find out that it doesn't work for me and in my life. So that, that was a huge component. And, and once I did that, I was able to see clear and start making better decisions. Absolutely. And it's it's interesting that you bring that up because we're talking about um, a traumatic brain injury. And that's actually not one of the things that we talked about we were going to go into. But um, when you have a traumatic brain injury, your brain does not function like everybody else. So the person next to you can take marijuana, smoke marijuana, whatever it is, and they will not have those effects because their brain is what's considered a healthy brain, undamaged or untainted by trauma. And, you know, in my journey, I had PTSD from the age of eight. Um, I've gone through anxiety, depression, panic attacks. Um, and the pharmaceutical industry is designed to tell you there's a pill for everything. If you have anxiety, there's a pill for that. You got PTSD, there's a pill for that. You're depressed, there's a pill for that. What they don't tell you is that that pill is designed for the normal, untraumatized, healthy brain without scar tissue and trauma. And very much like you said with marijuana, I couldn't take any of it. Because the side effects 
were terrible. They were absolutely terrible and would take me out of my personality. And that's something that I don't, I don't share often because of the stigma of, you know, take your meds or you need to get meds and everything else. It was something I could never do because I'd had, by the time I was eight, seven brain surgeries and now at least 12. So all that stuff that they push in the commercials where they tell you, oh my gosh, if you take this pill, you're going to be so happy and you're going to ride through the park and everything's going to be roses and lilies and daisies is crap when your brain is not firing the way that a normal healthy brain fires because of trauma or surgery or a concussion. And it, and this is the first time I'm hearing somebody say that it was that it was that way for marijuana. Yeah, uh, most definitely. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, but it took me so long to come to terms with that, and I never thought about it like how you're explaining um, to see that the TBI had so much, or, or possibly could have had so much to do with it. I just I allowed that to be an event in my life. And I tried to drive past it, not thinking that I could be years removed from really recovering from it. The thing about that um, is because a traumatic brain injury, unless you are severely deformed, is some it's one of those invisible illnesses where they tell you, well, you're not sick, you look just fine. Mm. And after hearing that so many times, or you look in the mirror and you look like yourself. You don't see the inside of your brain. You don't see the scar tissue. You don't see the trauma and what it's done. And what happens with a traumatic brain injury is your brain is overworking. There's parts of your brains that are your brain that are overcompensating for the parts that don't function anymore. And for me, it was like it heightened my senses, I almost had spidey senses. And I was really kind of nervous about it because I felt overwhelmed in a number of different rooms because it would just seem like there was so much going on and it might be at a three, but it would feel like it was at a hundred in terms of what was going on. And it was a really good friend of mine, um, Mikhail Mecki, um, author of Running With Finishers that told me, nah, that's your, you're, you're not damaged. You're, you're, you've tapped into part of your brain that other people are trying to get to. It's your superpower. So, when you said that, I really felt that because I really went through a really hard period where I had aphasia and it was really hard to be in a room full of people because I could hear somebody opening the wrapper three seats behind me and I could smell somebody's mm. cologne four seats in front of me. Mm. And, you know, it was just all coming at once and I would get really overwhelmed. And I remember him telling me, I run events and I wish I could see a room like you do and see everything going on that fast. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I've never heard of um, heightened senses in, in that way. So that that is wow. I, I can't even imagine. There's a lot that like people um, don't understand how much goes into what your brain does. Um, you can become really I mean, then I'm just telling my story. I'm not a doctor. I have a master's in psych. Um but I know that I can be very sensitive to sound. Um, when my brain is tired, I can be more sensitive to touch. Like it'll burn on my skin. Um, 
brain fatigue is real because when you have a brain injury, you may not, you don't have as many good brain hours in the day as somebody who doesn't. And people will wonder like, why are you tired? You only worked two hours or you only did this. You only did that. Your brain is overcompensating or it's working harder because of the parts that aren't functioning the way they used to or the way they were meant to. And it becomes exhausting. Okay. I really appreciate you sharing the parts of your story, kind of filling in the gaps, because, you know, I knew about the diagnosis of schizophrenia, but I didn't know that you had a brain injury from jumping out of a plane, serving your country. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah. Uh, and there's, there's, I look forward to, to just being able to really um, expound on everything and really get my story out there. Um, and, and now I think now's a good opportunity. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate your transparency. You know, you have so much to your story you know, domestic abuse that was that you witnessed growing up, living in a shelter, graduating from West Point, you know, a traumatic brain injury, you're dying. I mean, it's a lot. It is, it is a lot. And we have a lot of people out there, a lot of brothers out there that never really reached out and made that call for help the way you did and never got a diagnosis, but they're self-medicating and don't even know it. They're numbing it so they don't feel whatever it is that's not doesn't feel quite right. But instead of talking to somebody, they're doing doing the self medication. Uh, yes, ma'am. I I hear that, and um, yeah, I I really do. But that because that that is a part of why my actions were so sporadic is that I was dealing with another diagnosis that I had no idea about. Uh, and that it just wasn't detected at first. So, um, yeah. And that diagnosis is it, bipolar one. So, I mean, if you just think about, you know, how that really affects behavior and just everything that, that could possibly go on with a diagnosis like that and schizophrenia while self-medicating with marijuana, I just, I was really, um, yeah, not setting myself up for success. Now, you are so courageous. You have so much courage that I'm, I'm kind of awestruck. I'm taking it back right now because sharing what you share is not easy. And you share it to such a wide platform to help somebody else. It's, it is a form of self-sacrifice. Because we are taught you know, when we have mental health system, it's, you know, symptoms in our community, just pray about it. It'll be all right. Take a nap. You know what I mean? Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. But for you to seek help, you know, anybody listening, I want, I want you to first hear that he made the call. He knew something wasn't right. He sought help. That he owns his diagnosis. His diagnosis doesn't own him. And what I mean when I say that is he can say, I was diagnosed with bipolar one. I was diagnosed with schizophrenic, schizophrenia rather. Mm -hmm. 
he owns his diagnosis. His diagnosis doesn't own him and hasn't captured him or put him in a prison. Or at least that's what I'm getting from your story. Uh, man, so I, I really, I appreciate and, and it means so much to me that, that you you see the courage within me or you, you acknowledge, because I, I don't even acknowledge it myself. For me, it took so long for me to be able to tell this story, for me to be able to look myself in the, in the mirror and, and reconcile with everything that I did. Um, and I, I'm finally getting there. Um, but I, I, so I don't want anybody to be discouraged by, by how open I am. It took me years to get to this point. And, uh, and, and, and you, you're hitting the nail on the head with me. The only reason why I'm telling this story is because I hope that it will help the next person. And I, I realized one day that. I was not serving. I was, like I said, I'm a servant leader and I was not serving the next person by holding on to this. If something were to happen to me and all of this went in the grave with me, how does that help the next person? That is so powerful. I mean, really powerful. I'm hoping that anybody listening really gets this, really gets this because, you know, when you get a diagnosis, you feel like that takes ownership of you and it takes away your value. It takes away your purpose. You feel like you can't be used, that you can't be a vessel. You can't help somebody else because you've got this diagnosis or that diagnosis. When you're, circumstance, your situation, your diagnosis, whatever it may be, is literally part of your journey. And it's what enables you to help people. It's really hard to help somebody dig out of a place that you've never been. It's really hard to help somebody get out of the darkness when all you've seen is light. Mm. It's like asking somebody for directions who's never been where you're going or where you've been. If there was one part of your story that you would want to stick, what would that be? One part of my story that I would want to stick. Wow, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> wow, I don't. I really don't know. Um, I one part that I want so. I think it's it's what you 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 highlighted uh, time and time again. It, it is. It was when I was on the brink, when I just didn't know what to do, when I was behind the wheel of a car, um, and in a state of psychosis. Maybe the only thing that saved me was reaching out and calling somebody, and saying, "Hey." Despite whatever you may think, this is how I view the world. Does this just resonate with you? Does this make sense? And 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 honestly, 
that probably that was hard but hearing that hey no that is not what the world is like I think you need help and going to get the help that I needed because it, it takes one level of you know intestinal fortitude to reach out but it takes a whole nother level to hear that that you might not be in the best mental space and then to take action there thereafter. Yeah, that's a that's a lot. One thing that I think um I would fail my listeners if I didn't ask is what was this like or how did it impact you both as a veteran and as a black man? Did that shape your your situation? Did was it did it make it harder, different? Tell me about this as a veteran and as a black man and as a father. Uh, when, when you say this, what, what, you, you, what, what is that? What you've Did been you... through, um, your journey, uh, maybe even your diagnosis. Because I know there's a lot of veteran stories that don't get told. And there's a lot of black men that don't have a voice. Yeah. So how so how does my story shape my opinion or my worldview as a black man and as a veteran? It it for me it made me bitter for a while because I didn't understand why a young lieutenant who cared and wanted to just be the best leader was taken advantage of. And I just didn't understand why, because certain things about me that may have not been the most polished, um, but definitely came from a genuine heart, were not cultivated. And why they instead were caused me to be cast out and dumped and trashed. So as, as a veteran, my my experience as my black as a black man, the lens that I saw things through made me it made me bitter for quite a while. But I am proud that I served. I am proud that I, I raised my hand um, and, and became a part of a, a community that that understands that service is key. And I understand that some people can't do that. Um, for for various reasons, but I am proud that I was able to do so. I don't see myself any higher than anybody, but I just I think I think everybody I think the powers that be I think the universe that I was able to to have that experience and to connect with some people uh, who who have my best interests in mind and who understand my worldview because of everything that we went through together. Uh, I still have some some connections, some relationships that um, despite everything I did to tarnish them, they stuck around in my life and they continue to to be uh, a blessing um, and yeah, a sounding board, a, a confidant, or whatever I may need. And then they allow me to be a part of their life too. So yeah. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you want to add or share that we haven't talked about? Oh, wow. Uh, 
Uh, you, you know, there's really not. I, I yeah. Um, I, I would just say, yeah. If if anybody has been inspired by what I said, it, it means the world to me. Um, yeah. I, I would, yeah. Please reach out. You can find me on social medias. You can find me um, all over the place. But uh, if there's any way I can help anyone. I my my direct messages, private messages, my email, everything is always open. So I I really want folks to know that I genuinely care and I understand. I understand how it feels to to be in a world where it seems like nobody cares or understands. I might not understand one hundred percent, but I care and I will try my best to do so. Barry, thank you so much um, for sharing your story and being so transparent. Again, it is extremely courageous and it's something that we all really need to hear. Like I was telling you, I've known number of military men, black men, and heard so many different experiences that I think get overlooked and don't get talked about. And the voice of mental health in our community is muted so many times. The resources aren't offered to us. And especially as black men, you're taught not to talk about it because it doesn't make you a good man. It makes you weak. And that's all, it's all bullshit. Um, The biggest thing that, you know, I want people to take away from his story is that he wasn't afraid to get help. He wasn't afraid to call It didn't make him a good man to just suffer in silence or self-medicate. And he knew that and he pursued help. And, you know, it's, I can't imagine any way, shape or form to go into a mental institution was in any way easy, but you came out of it and you're motivating others. You're helping people and you're sharing your journey with complete transparency in a way that takes so much courage. So thank you. Um, Barry, go ahead and share your information, how listeners can contact you, where you can be found and, um, anything that you might be working on. I know you had a, is it the leadership library and some things of that? Share some of that with the listeners, please. Oh, most definitely. So uh, what I would say is probably the best place to, to reach me. Maybe, uh, I would say Instagram, uh, is my, my handle is Barry underscore the orator um so yeah you can find me there uh, i'm on facebook um you can you can find me at very ball inspires uh, email barry at very ball inspires.com and you know, some things that i'm working on right now is um most definitely just building my 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 speaking business i have a podcast that's coming uh, the Leadership Library. If you're on Clubhouse, I already have a club uh, that's also entitled The Leadership Library. And uh, yeah, we we meet on Mondays and Wednesdays at, at 1230. So yeah, th- those are just a few things that I'm working on right now. Absolutely. And I will have um, all of Barry's information in the notes of this podcast so that you can definitely reach out to him. He and I will be doing a Q&A on this on Clubhouse sometime within the next week. Um, So be on the lookout for that information on social media. We'll be announcing that. 
Barry, I want to say thank you so much for joining me, for being transparent, for sharing your journey and reminding people it's okay to get help and being a voice. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, uh, I just want to say thank you for thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, thank you for allowing me to share. It has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you to everybody that's listened. Make sure to look up Barry on social media. Find us both at Clubhouse. Um, I'm moving mountains on Clubhouse and pretty much everywhere. And again, that'll all be in the information on this episode. I appreciate your time, Barry. And let's do this again real soon. I look forward to it. If you have enjoyed this episode and you want to keep in contact with me, you can locate me both on Facebook and Instagram. The handles on both of those sites are going to be at Moving Mountains Coach. My website is www.movingmountainslifecoach.com. Again, www.movingmountainslifecoach.com. I do look forward to hearing from you. Reach out to me, subscribe, comment, let me know what you think, share it with your friends. And of course, if you'd like to book a one-on-one session with me, I am available. Go to my website, contact me on Facebook or Instagram. I am happy to chat with you and get you booked for a free introductory discovery session in terms of what it's like to work with a master certified life coach. Have a great day and remember, Every mountain can be moved if you are willing to take the first step.